A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Today's show is brought to you by Hover.com. If you have an idea for a website, register the URL right now. Get 10% off of your first purchase by going to Hover.com using the offer code CanadaLand at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, all of that is included. Go to Squarespace.com, use the offer code CanadaLand. You'll get 10% off of your first purchase. Jen Gerson back from mat leave, at least shortcuts back. Uh, slowly emerging from my confinement is kind of the better way to phrase it. Very good. I don't, I'll, I'll take what I can get. We're going to talk about uh, pay for play and whether Parliament is an appropriate place to talk about it. We're going to talk about whether or not it's okay to cry at work and how we should talk about whether or not it's okay to cry at work. And uh, and we'll talk about the CBC getting into the advertorial game. We should also note that we have a guest star here, and that is my three-month-old infant. It's uh, Shortcuts episode 99, and it's wonderful to have you back. Thanks for having me. All right, Jen, we tried it. It didn't work. You, you gave your kid to your husband. Adorable background baby babble became a not-so-adorable background baby whining. This episode, episode 99 of Canada Land Shortcuts, is brought to you by Anuba Momin. 
Bojan First, Tyler Norton, Isaac Waller, Ian Knox, Monica Chohan, Dan Shannon, and Stephen Kernahan. Stephen, why did you decide to be awesome? Because I love the CBC and I want it to be better. And I'm hopeful that you'll have uh, influence on the changes that are happening there right now. And Jen, this episode is also brought to you by Hover.com. This will interest you. Did you know that a domain name is registered every second and that there are 100 million .com domain names that are already registered? Did you know that, Jen? I did not know that. Have you registered your son's name as a .com? No, because that would be creepy. But I guess considering what's happening in the news cycle lately, I should probably register both mine and his name, lest it be a sabotage and hijack by forces nefarious. That's right. You need to do it before Ezreal Event does it. Uh, when, when you think of an awesome idea or when you have an awesome child, you need to find it a great domain or him a great domain domain name before someone else snatches it up. And Hover is the easiest way to quickly buy and manage your domain names. There is a free who is privacy included to protect your contact information. Very important. And there are no confusing upsells like you get with some of the other guys who are always trying to, you go in for tech support and then they're trying to sell you some crazy package or security this or whatever. This, this is what Hover does, domain names and email addresses. That's it. They have amazing support staff. No wait, no hold, no transfer phone support. Every step of the way, they have a connect feature that helps you to connect your domain name to your website in just a couple of clicks, and you will get 10% off of your first purchase with Hover.com by going to Hover.com and using the promo code CanadaLand at checkout. Hover, domain names for your ideas. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day -day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction, and build hope. Okay, Jen, here is what uh, Member of Parliament and Rookie Minister for Small Business and Tourism, Bardish Chagar, said about the debate over these pay-for-play fundraisers breaking out in Parliament. 
in that place is not where we talk about, I would say, political fundraising. Political parties can talk about that. We can talk about legislation. We can talk about the rules that govern the work we do. If it's not really advancing challenges that everyday Canadians are facing, I will take that as the government house leader so that ministers can respond and do the work that they need to do. Uh, what'd you make of that? Uh, self-interested garbage? I, I mean, look, I'm not uh, an expert on parliamentary rules and procedure, and I'm sure that one that such person will uh, start to hound me on Twitter about this one, but political fundraising is governed federally by, the, I believe, the Canada Elections Act, so therefore it is a perfectly appropriate topic to discuss and debate uh, in the House of Commons, period. Uh, the idea that... that um, politically inconvenient topics are just simply um, verboten in Parliament is is total garbage. It's just that's just nonsense. It's just it's straight up nonsense. Does she think that, or was she just sort of like was that a flub? Was she just trying to like uh, backpedal or defend herself? impromptu, you know, spitting off the top of the dome and just said, hey, Parliament's no place to talk about politics. Is that, is that? It's really hard with uh, especially a lot of these liberal uh, rookie cabinet ministers, whether or not they are actually this ignorant or whether or not they are trying to spin. Uh, I, I actually can't tell. I mean, uh, Miriam Monsef and her attempts to, to uh, make the, believe the Gallagher um, equation into some ridiculous thing, I think, was another example of this. I mean, it's, it's actually getting very, very hard to tell whether or not this liberal government is actually this dumb or whether or not they think we are. You bring us up to speed with the Monsef thing. Mary Monsef, so she's a minister of democratic reform. She, she, her own committee came back to her with um, a report on electoral reform that basically said, uh, use something I think it's called the Gallagher equation. Oh God, it's something, it's not called the Gallagher equation and someone's going to nail me for that, aren't they? But anyway, it's, it's a mathematical equation to try and determine um, the relative equality of a parliament based on how many votes are cast to the, to the outcomes is the really short answer. And she tried to spin it like um, this committee hadn't done its appropriate work and was trying to build an entire new electoral reform, electoral system around this complicated mathematical equation. And she stood up with this scary-looking mathematical equation on a piece of big white paper as a prop in the House of Commons, which you actually aren't supposed to do. You know, tried to spin it into this idea that, you know, Canadians don't want us trying to rebuild our electoral system around math, because math is hard. Um, and it was just absurd. She got rightly nailed for this. Uh, so, you know, this seems to be a bit of a trend with this government. Uh, when the government doesn't know how to respond, they try and pull out ignorance or, or just kind of like stupid lines to try and bamboozle Canadians, trying to say, well, Canadians don't want their electoral systems using math because math is difficult. Or, you know, you're not allowed to discuss these horribly inconvenient things in Parliament. I mean, I mean and again, it's, it's actually really hard to tell. Are, are these rookie ministers actually this dumb? Or are they just assuming that the electorate is so dumb that they'll fall for this particular line of spin? And the truth is, I have no idea. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I guess what we're trying to focus on here is just how this is being presented through the media. And the the operative part of this for me is that here we have these two interlocutors for Trudeau. I mean, with these two issues, this pay for play growing, I don't know, scandal and uh, the absolute about face on the campaign promise for electoral reform our big political liabilities for our prime minister, Justin Trudeau. And instead we have these two, he sort of put these human shields in front of him who are tripping over their own tongues and trying to somehow defend this stuff. And who can very um, easily be thrown and, under the bus later, right? I mean, these are both relatively rookie ministers. I'll point out that both are uh, uh, women of color, I believe. That's right. Yes. 
Both of these women are very disposable and will be disposed of. I mean, Monsef, I think, is not long for the cabinet post that she's in. I think that what you'll see is that when Trudeau uh, decides with how he's going to go forward in electoral form, which I think is actually a no-win situation for him politically, dumping uh, Monsef is going to be a very easy move for them at this point. Same thing with the pay-for-play. I mean, uh, putting these human shields up gives Trudeau an enormous amount of cover. So we'll see We'll see whether or not there is a gender-equal cabinet in 2017. My guess is that if you were to, if you were to put money on it, I, I, I'd guess that the answer would be no, And because it's 2017 is very different from 2015, apparently. Uh, that being said, I have a whole incidental opinion on, on political fundraising, as I mentioned, and that is I do think that we, we in Canada, fall into moral panics over political fundraising a little too easily. But he promised. He pro- I mean, you know, he made, he made a big moral stand on this, right? I mean, it's it's fair to compare what was said with what's being done, is it not? No debate, no debate. And I'm not, I don't mean to give, uh, cut the liberals any slack here, because what fun would that be? You know, my husband happens to work in the States, and when you compare, you know, the, the type of money and how money flows in the political ecosystem in the States to Canada, we're quaint. <laughs> you know, like, we are adorable here in Canada. So, you know, this idea that, you know, these politicians are being corrupted over 1500 bucks is a little bit ludicrous. You know, it takes money to run political parties. It takes money to run election campaigns. Uh, it takes money to buy advertisements and buy the signs and, 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 and rent the campaign offices and do the data work. I mean, this stuff is expensive. It does not come for free. Democracy isn't free. It costs a pretty penny. So, you know, there's as much as we want to keep too much money out of politics and we want to keep the wrong kinds of money out of politics and the wrong types of influential money out of politics, at the same time, we have to recognize that it's anti-democratic to expect political parties to run for on nothing or to run on shoestring budgets. There ability to reach the electorate and communicate with the electorate is severely hampered at a certain point when you when you when you cut off the taps too much there's a certain point at which you have to actually start accepting that it takes some money to run these organizations that's all so katie jensen the producer of this show was listening to the cbc and she heard a discussion on the current about the burning topic of women and i think it was specifically about women who cry at work that uh, she felt compelled to respond to on Twitter, and everybody should check out her tweets on that, and we'll post them to the site. Here's what that panel sounded like. Ann Kramer, what have you learned about the relationship between women's tears and biology? Women produce more prolactin, which is the hormone that triggers tears. Boys are socialized from a very young age. They just don't do it. So from your perspective, how much could crying at work hurt a person's career? If you can cry in a way that doesn't a, disrupt the workflow, and B, make other people feel uncomfortable. I coach so many uh, young people who have no idea how to manage any of this, and particularly this generation that's used to sort of letting every single thing, every thought hang out on social media in some capacity, that they just are clueless. Okay, that is a taste of what was on the current. And I think, I, I don't want to, uh, I'll try to summarize some points that I think Katie and other people made. Basically, what you had there was a discussion about the like anatomical, biological difference that causes women to cry more. You had crying discussed as a problem in terms of how it makes other people feel uncomfortable and disrupts the workflow. You had crying talked about something that could hurt your career. And uh, you had a little sideswipe millennial bashing thrown in there. The young people don't know how to control their emotions at work for good favor. But what Katie Jensen pointed out is that there's like no discussion in there about what is making these women cry. 
what about abuse in the workplace? And, uh, you know, I, and maybe I'm extrapolating here. Why is the starting point of the conversation that this is a problem that needs to be solved uh, to have emotions at work at all? Firstly, I think that those are fair criticisms that, that Katie brings up, and I, I really like them and I want to discuss them. But there's there's one thing I think we should say, and that is, you know, there are biological differences between men and women. And personally, I don't think that that should be taboo to discuss that and how that impacts us socially, however else. You know, that, that's a fair conversation to have. Um, two, actually, the, the, the sideswipe of the millennials pissed me off more than the, the gendered comment. There also are different socializations in terms of how men and women are, are, are expected to treat emotion at work. And there are different, more importantly, there are different consequences for how uh, men and women are treated at work when they express those emotions. But I do agree that, that yeah, it would have been really nice to have a conversation um, uh, on why women are crying at work, why men cry at work. And I think the other part of the conversation that wasn't delved into as much as it could have been was, well, why aren't we doing a little bit more to reduce the stigma of expressing emotion at work? Emotion's a natural human response. Nobody can help it. You know, and at the same time, you know, we have women in the workplace now. Deal with it. So uh, men and women will both have um, emotional outbursts and and feelings in the workplace and do we need to have a more modern discussion about how we handle that as a society or how we handle that professionally did you not get the sense that there were like three robots talking about this human species and their propensity to have liquid come out of their eyeballs for strange reasons like it was a strange conversation uh, it was a little bit well i mean you, you were dealing with with researchers and scientists i mean you were you weren't dealing with people who yeah, I mean, I think that was just a virtue of the types of guests they had on. I mean, these people were just talking about their particular field of research. To your point about it being, I mean, of course, like, you know, there isn't some kind of like rule that we can't acknowledge biological differences between men and women. Your ability to give birth, for example, is something that we should probably be allowed to talk about. Like taking it to this place of, well, of course, women have a biological propensity to cry more than men. It sounds like you're getting awfully close to just sort of like, like by definition, a sexist declaration that like, oh, yeah, women are more emotional than men. And that's a bit more troubling than what you're suggesting. I would also say that that for a long time, the response to women entering the workplace has been an expectation that women would act more like men. I think that it's worth challenging that. Is it a bad thing to cry in the office? Well, research suggests that that it is perceived negatively. But, you know, as someone who has cried at work, I would say that, you know, the person who cries at work is the person who gives a shit. That is the person who is really passionate about what they're doing. And should that be punished? Um, well, no. No, I don't think it should be. And, and I don't think it's fair that it should be punished. So I, it's, it's probably, it's not the last time I cried at work, but it, it probably is one of the times that actually sticks out in my mind. And that was when I was um, working as a general assignment for the Calgary Herald. I covered a kidnapping of a small boy in Sparwood, BC. And I was tough as nails when it came to covering this, this kidnapping. Like I was like hardcore on the scene every day following this really, really incredible case of this boy who was kidnapped and then eventually returned unharmed to his, who his, to his family. And I was quite hard-nosed about it. I, I'd always taken some pride in my ability to compartmentalize. I think like two years ago, uh, I was listening to the radio and there was a story that came over the newscast from, from here in Alberta, up, up in, uh, I think, a suburb of Edmonton. The new parents had left their kid in the back seat of the truck 
the father just had to run inside and grab something. So he pulls, goes up to his his uh, neighborhood suburban home, totally safe. He leaves the truck running to keep the baby warm, runs inside, and of course, what happens? Some kids run by and steal the truck, not realizing that there's a baby in the back. Hearing this story, I just start bawling at my desk. And thank God at this point I was working at home alone and I wasn't in a newsroom where I had to be exposed or, or revealed for this. But literally I lost my shit. I, I just started crying. All turned out well. The kids realized what they had done. They dropped this kid off on the porch of some random r- rural house in the middle of like minus 40 degree weather, the child was fine, however, and the kids got arrested. How is it the how in my mid-20s I was so tough I could cover this horrible case of this toddler being kidnapped, presumably by some pedophile, and dragged out into the woods and the mountains and, you know, never shed a tear and be, you know, all business. And yet, you know, a couple of years later, you know, I'm not even necessarily even covering the story, but I hear the story of this little baby getting kidnapped and I, I lose my goddamn shit. I should point out I wasn't pregnant at this point either, right? A conversation came back to me with a guy who had been in journalism for, you know, 30, 40 years. And I I, I pointed this out to me. And I was like, you know, it should, it seems to me that I should be getting tougher over the years, that I should be able to better handle these types of stories. I should be more able to compartmentalize. And he said to me, no, it doesn't work like that. Trauma is cumulative, the more you cover this stuff, the more vulnerable you become to it. The more, the more, um, the harder it becomes over time to cover it, not easier. And I thought that that was really interesting because, you know, here in journalism, you know, that's, that's, if you're a full-time lifelong reporter, that's, that's your life. And yet we have this machismo type of attitude about, again, a masculine attitude, a masculine standard of emotional expression that expects that the opposite happens, that, 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 that we become more in your to the pain of humanity as we continue on in these careers. In fact, I think in most cases, it's quite the opposite. The more we cover the stuff, the more vulnerable we become to it. And we don't talk about that. We won't talk about that. Instead, we have conversations about, you know, emotion at work and how to handle trauma. And, you know, in journalism, as in many professions, that's something that, you know, we have to be exposed to quite a lot. Yeah. And and becoming a parent just wrecked me for any story where kids are vulnerable. I, I can't even. I, I just can't. How do you how do you handle that? It goes to the conversation of, you know, why are we crying at work? And as I said, I don't think this is a gendered thing. I think that, that men and women both deal with emotion. We both have emotions. I don't think men are necessarily better at controlling their emotions. I just think that socialization and biology combine to ensure that they deal with their emotions in a slightly different way on the whole, and not necessarily in a way that's more constructive or, or, or any better. I said, do we have a conversation about, uh, you know, the consequences of crying at work, or should we have a conversation about why there shouldn't be consequences for crying at work? Jen, now is the time in our program where we take a moment to uh, note duly a couple of things that we would like to be uh, duly noted. And uh, I'm going to point to some of our own content. We had a story this past week that uh, Robert Hiltz, our editor, reported the CBC is in the advertorial game. They are just running straight-up advertorials from toothbrush companies. And, you know, you get into the weeds of this, and it's, uh, it's, it's very well-labeled as partner content. And there's a big logo on the photograph of this article, Six Easy Ways to Get a Whiter Smile for the Holidays. And, you know, we kind of approach this the way we do any advertorial story. Is it, is it clearly 
identified where might people get confused and and there are some points where the author of this one story about about whiter teeth that's a paid for post she also wrote a story about pizza that was not sponsored content and the the, the voice of both of these articles is identical and uh you know but really i just think that the bigger bright line thing here is just like damn do you guys really like is this is this a plot to get that $400 million to go ad-free? It's like, we are just going to completely sell out in the most like vulgar ways possible unless you pay us to stop running ads? Every time the CBC starts to wade into the advertising game and starts to compete with the private employers, I mean, self-interest, you know, I am still employed by a private uh, journalism company, but every time they do this, they undermine their own mandate. And I think that that's the risk. I mean, are you a public service to be supported by the Canadian taxpayer or are you a private media organization? You're going to have to make that decision. You can't have it. I, I know they've been trying to have it both ways for a very long time. And, and I think that every time that they they go a little bit further into the muck, they undermine the, the, the purity of their public service mandate. And, and um you know, I think the CBC's got to watch it. They got to be careful. In defending themselves, uh, CBC Flack Chuck Thompson he made it very clear. See, a lot of this stuff is always about protecting their personalities and protecting their journalists from any kind of claim that they're somehow uh, selling out the news content. So the way he phrased it was: the people who write these sponsored stories for us are not journalists. I just want to make that clear: they're not journalists. And that might be great if you're like a CBC reporter that he's giving you some cover there. But if you are one of the people who's been, like, I know tons of journalists who've written advertorials because they got to pay the rent. Freelance journalists do that stuff all the time. So now you've got the CBC publicly declaring you're not a journalist. The whole thing is a mess, and I can't imagine how much they're getting for it that it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, and this is also another conversation that eventually we're all going to have to have because if you work in a media organization, eventually you're going to be writing advertorial. That's just the way this is going. It doesn't make you not a journalist. You are not sullied. You are not tainted. It just, it, you know, it's just the reality of the economics of, of, of the field we're in now. So, yeah, it's unfortunate that they chose that particular type of phrasing. Um, I think the better way to phrase it would have been, you know, they are not acting in their capacity as journalists or they are not acting as journalists in that in that role. Duly noted. Yes, we discussed. Uh, I, I'm going to duly note the personal difficulties of trying to get back into a news cycle with a 24/7 demanding needy infant. Yes, it's it's lots of fun. I'm super on the ball right now. You'll notice I've also kind of abandoned Twitter. I just I can't bring myself to care anymore about Twitter at all, uh, unless it's to post really you. adorable photographs of my son, who is the cutest thing on the planet. And I'll cut a man who says otherwise. Duly noted. Okay, Jen, this is the time on the show when we thank our other sponsor, Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, all of that is included with your Squarespace website. It is easy to make a website with Squarespace. It is simple and intuitive. You can add and arrange your content and features with a click of a mouse. You get a free custom domain. There are beautiful templates designed by professional designers, best in class when it comes to these templates, and you can just adapt them to suit your needs, all without a single plugin. Seamless commerce tools. It's not just people with small businesses or their own portfolio. There are nationally recognized brands that use Squarespace to do commerce online. And their customer support is second to none 24-7. And everyone on their customer care team are experienced Squarespace users. They're all in-house, and you can ask them for help anytime you need it. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CANADALAND. You'll get 10% off of your first purchase. Okay, last up, I want to talk about this piece in the Star, and it's just like the teeniest little news brief about a bank robber. There is a photo of this bank robber. He is wearing a toque 
and like a puffy winter jacket, which like, I don't know, that's what the corner boys on the wire wore. But he is described in this piece. It's like a teeny little news brief. And here, here's the verbiage to describe this bank robber. Clean shaven, polite, a stickler for good grammar, a clean cut individual that probably doesn't fit this mold. Preppy. Uh, they call him the preppy punk. The cop who was giving quotes to the press for this, Staff Inspector Mike Earl, he speculated that, you know, um, maybe this guy is on lunch break from his job. He, he, he put out there, on all occasions, the notes that he sent to the bank teller before he took money from these banks and robbing these banks, all of the notes were well written and used proper grammar. Here's a quote from uh, Staff Inspector Mike Earl. Maybe he's never been in trouble before. Maybe he's an educated individual who's down and out, and this is his only hope to get some kind of money. I couldn't tell if this cop wanted to arrest the preppy punk bank robber or date him from this piece. I'm vaguely reminded of a of a of a robbery case that occurred here in Alberta a year or two ago, and it was it turned out to be the white blonde female president of the Mount Royal University Student Association who started robbing banks in order to pay off gambling debts, which was a pretty spectacular story It's in and of itself. That was just really bizarre. It's sort of racism by omission, right? This idea that, that you know, white, preppy-looking, clean kids with good grammar don't rob banks. Yeah, the series of assumptions that are made about this guy in his life, uh, when really it's just like this guy's—he's a, he's a criminal. He's robbing banks, and, and <laughs> there's this flight of fancy about this this anomalous. It's like they want to make a movie out of him. Like, couldn't you just see George Clooney as the gentleman bank robber and on his lunch break? I mean, they don't know any of this. I understand what it is to try and turn a relatively benign news sticker item into you know twelve inches of copy to fill a page, and you need to try and make it sound interesting. It's definitely a little bit racist by omission because it's it's making assumptions about clean-cut, preppy, well-shaven kids with good grammar and what they do and what they don't do. And therefore, well, then who is sort of typical bank robber? I mean, it's sort of the question that gets raised, right? Yeah. I mean, if movies have taught me anything, it's that bank robbers are all really smart. I don't know. How, how, how hard is it to put good grammar in your bank? Like, what's in the... Is it a piece... Is it like a... A thousand words long. These bankrupts, like it's like, isn't it like one sentence? Put money in the bag. I mean, how much? How hard is it yeah, to get good grammar in that here. one sentence? I I don't get it. For me, it rose questions. You know, I, the reporter, like it's a news brief about a bank robbery. Like you say, you got to sizzle it up a little bit. The editorial packaging might have been a little bit different, and it would have been a lot different if it had been a black guy. That's for sure. But wouldn't this have been much much more offensive if it was a black guy, and you had the cops saying? Well, it's astonishing what good grammar this black bank robber had. I mean, that would be even worse, wouldn't it? It would have been very offensive, but of course he would never have said that in that in that instance. I, I, like, the, the cop is, it, it's, it seems wildly unprofessional to me, the cop uh, speculating about the guy's education level. Oh, maybe he's down and out. It's such a sympathetic treatment from this cop who is ostensibly trying to catch this criminal. It's a little weird. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts for this week, and I hope everybody enjoyed it. You can email me anytime at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me, and I respond when I can. Uh, Jen, where can people find you? Please don't. Please leave me alone. I haven't slept in weeks. Was this the first professional thing you've done since you've taken some time? Yes, it has. If we can deem this professional, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to flatter this that way. It's a toe into the professional. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. 
I make this show with Katie Jensen. Syndication is handled by Russell Gregg. And if you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.